Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show for another trial roundup. This time we are doing week three of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial that is still taking place in Virginia. We have about three weeks of trial left if everything stays according to schedule, and it seems like it's going to. By the time this comes out, it will be May 4th, so may the 4th be with you. And we will be a few days into week four of the trial, but I will again be covering that during the week four roundup. And I cover that daily on my social media accounts and my Quick Bits YouTube channel. So if you want to see just, you know, minute long snippets, you can follow me over on Instagram at the Emily D Baker or on Quick Bits. And that's where you can get like a daily roundup. And sometimes I try to do a morning and an afternoon roundup of the most important testimony as I saw it as we go along. If you don't want to wait for the weekly roundup each Wednesday here on The Emily Show. And because it is a podcast episode, we like to start with a quote. We don't always get to it. But during this trial, there's going to be plenty of things that are quotable. And no, I'm not going to make a quote about muffins or spoiled teenage children. We're going to get to that within the episode, though, because this week gave us a lot of memeable moments. But there was a moment in cross-examination where Johnny Depp said, um, I think somewhat poignantly, the only person I've ever abused is myself. And we'll see what the jury believes at the end of this trial, because the heart of this defamation suit is... Does the jury believe that Amber Heard was abused or does the jury believe that she was lying? And if she was lying, then Johnny Depp's lawyer didn't defame her when she said this was a hoax. And we got a lot of testimony from Johnny Depp's side about that in this week's episode. So let's just roll the intro and get right into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Are you absolutely ready to be blown away? Well, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has got you. Men and women alike have been asking for this, and our friends at Manscaped have finally relaunched the Ultra Smooth Package. That's right. The Ultra Smooth Package is back, baby. This is your new favorite tool and complement to the Lawnmower 4 to get that smooth shave and finish you've been looking for. This is a specialized kit to shave the hair down there and reduce your risk of ingrowns. This will crop your bush right to the root if that's what you are looking for. Yes, it sure will. So just use your lawnmower four and then grab your ultra smooth package to get the closest shave possible. Step one, crop exfoliator. It's infused with ingredients to help soothe and clear the skin and exfoliate which is going to reduce the ingrown hairs down there. Then grab your crop gel. It is specifically made for shaving down there. It is a unique clear gel just for your special bits. Then the crop shaver is designed specifically for your hair down there. It is not your normal razor. It's smaller, but it's thicker. And it has a micro comb bar. It is made with extra wide lubricating strips so that you do not hurt yourself while you are shaving down there. Best possible shave from any angle. Super easy to hold, nice and grippy, and made especially for you. Easy to keep in the shower. Just like that. Y'all, summer is coming. So it is time to get up close and personal with the best shaving experience, and Manscaped has got you covered or uncovered, if you will. So head to the show notes and click the link or get 20% off and free shipping with code LawNerd at manscaped.com. That's right. 20% plus free shipping with code LawNerd at manscaped.com. Get smooth with the relaunched ultra smooth package from your friends and mine at Manscaped. 
Just a reminder of where we are in this trial. We are still in Johnny Depp's case in chief. That means he is still proving that he was defamed. That is what all of these witnesses are going towards. So I'm going to focus more on the direct testimony and then the moments I thought were impactful in cross-examination. But we got into a lot of witnesses this week, so we're just going to go day by day with those witnesses with a few clips um, pulled in. So if you are listening, I will always give a heads up when those clips are coming. And if you are watching, you will get to see those clips rolling right along because there is some testimony that is maybe best said in their own words. So when we picked up on Monday, we were in day eight of this trial with Johnny Depp on cross-examination still with Mr. Ben Rottenborn, the attorney for Amber Heard, who he and Johnny were were not um were not having fun with one another while they were while they were doing cross-examination. Johnny Depp was visibly annoyed during part was snapping back at Rottenborn. And that continued a little bit during the cross-examination at the beginning of day eight. Johnny Depp did have that statement where he said, the only person I've ever abused is myself. And then he got into why he wouldn't have, you know, used his left hand to lop lop off a finger on his right hand. He said, I play the guitar. And he talked about how important guitar is to him. And we hear this throughout the testimony in the week from others who talk about Johnny Depp escaping fights with Amber Heard and going off and playing the guitar by himself and how much it means to him. We also heard about that in the prior weeks when Johnny Depp was on direct examination from his lawyers talking about the guitar really being the thing that saved him and his safe escape. So I thought it was very poignant and um, hopefully notable testimony to the jury that Johnny Depp was saying, I would not have hurt myself in this way because nothing means more to me than being able to play the guitar. And I thought that that really stuck out. We'll see if that's capitalized on in closing arguments, but it's one of the things that just makes the most sense. After that, we got into redirect examination, which means they get to redirect the witness testimony, really addressing the things that were brought up on cross. So if there were any issues brought up on cross-examination, this is the time to give those things context or explain them or ask more about them. And that was done very thoroughly in this case. Redirect is the time when Johnny Depp's attorney got back up and asked about all of those text messages, gave more context to some of the audio clips that have been played in part on the cross-examination. And I think that Johnny Depp's attorney did a really great job at saying, Mr. Rottenborn played part of this. Mr. Rottenborn played a portion of this. So again, reminding the jury that those clips that they heard were not the whole story. They got into those texts between Johnny Depp and Paul Bettany, the, you know, burn her, burn her, drown her. Those, they're awful text messages. They really are horrific. And he talks about the fact that those texts were um, really informed by the Monty Python um, I'm not a witch scene where there's a woman brought before a, a group of men yelling at her, burn her. And she's like, this isn't even my nose. It's a false one <laughs> there. It's, I mean, it's Monty Python. I'll link the sketch down below. It's available on YouTube. If you haven't seen Monty Python, the humor might not make sense, but it doesn't matter if it makes sense to us. The jurors might still find those text messages appalling and we'll see I think the defense lost some of the weight of the text messages when they introduced so many of them. When you introduce so many of them, it kind of takes the sting of those texts away and is like, oh, this is how somebody speaks. We'll see what the jury decides about that. We also learned that Johnny Depp named his finger that had been partially severed and then reattached and calls it Little Richard. I was like, oh, well, that's a new bit of information. His attorney asked him to address why he had lied to the doctors, and he talked about not wanting Amber to get in trouble, not wanting to create like a media circus about it, and really just not wanting not wanting to make it a bigger deal. And that's why he talked about injuring his finger and slamming it in the, the sliding doors and things like that. But, well, fast forward to the next witness. We're going to hear about who finds the tip of the finger pretty soon. We then had on redirect examination, questions about this audio that was really very difficult to listen to, where Johnny Depp is threatening either to cut himself or to have Amber Heard cut him. And it is very tough audio to listen to. It's just very sad. And they asked Johnny Depp to address what was going on there. And he said, it was essentially, take my blood. You've taken everything else. 
And he said, I was at that time broken. Um, and you could really see it on his face during that testimony when he said, I was broken. And you got a lot of that on redirect about how frustrated and sad and shocked he was about how heartbroken he was with pirates and being um, removed from the pirates franchise a few days after this op-ed. And he said he wanted the pirates characters to have a good and proper goodbye. And he didn't think they had gotten that. And he said, these characters are so beloved and this franchise has gone on so long that they really should have their proper goodbye. There was also a moment in court when Johnny Depp was talking about not watching his movies that something he said got quite a loud chuckle out of the audience and the judge had none of it and immediately snapped at the audience and said, order in this court, I will have you removed. I don't know if it was one person who laughed um, more loudly than the others or a group of people, but the judge was clearly annoyed. I haven't heard the judge admonish the audience since then, but it was definitely a moment where the judge was like, what we're not doing this is not a spectacle. This is still a court of law, though. Witnesses later in the week, there were times that it felt like we were not necessarily in a court of law, but in an alternate law reality, kind of like idiocracy, where the lawyers are more participating in like a cage match with sponsored t-shirts. If you've watched Idiocracy, you know what I'm talking about. But there were moments, and it wasn't the lawyers that were doing it, but there were moments that I felt like we slipped into some alternate court universe, but we will talk about that in a few minutes as well. So the first clip I want to share is this audio between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that I think is probably the most damaging audio that was played against Amber Heard. There was definitely some damaging audio for Johnny Depp showing him yelling at her, but nothing where it seems that he is admitting to abusing or to hurting Amber Heard. And this is audio where she's talking about the fact that he is in fact hit, um, that she did hit him, but he's not punched. And then says, well, tell the world, Johnny. And we're going to hear that in their own words right now. It's been going on too long. Maybe we just got to stop this. Just got to stop it. I don't know how to get my um, reputation back. She says, I don't know how to get my reputation back. We write a letter together. That saying that we're going to take this out of the public eye and in this they're talking about the divorce we're going to take the divorce out of the public eye saying that we're going to try and work this out on, on our own saying that the media has created such a fucking hateful storm that it's sickening that we love each other and that we want to make sure each other is okay. Have we had fights in the past? Have we had this or whatever? Fuck it. They already know all that shit. Don't matter. Here's the deal. No, it matters. It makes, I, I have been, I have, you have no idea. Every ounce of my credibility has been taken from, I mean, and done so in a dishonest way. You know? Amber, for, the abuse, the abuse thing is, is, is we've got to deal with that. Yeah. We've got to deal with that. I don't have any way of my credit. It's, it's my credibility. You know what? I, I, and I, why I, did you put that out there? I did not. You forced me. Your team forced me to. Then why did you put it out there? And she says, I did not. Your team forced me to. And then she starts kind of spitting out about his team brought up that they were going to get divorced. Remember, Depp's, Depp brought it up to her first that he wanted a divorce. And then she went and filed first and she went and filed the domestic violence restraining order uh, with the paparazzi there first. And that will come up in later testimony that we're going to talk about in this roundup. Going on the offense. I didn't force you to. I promise. Look up the timeline to these things. Everything is forget it. Forget it. You don't believe what I say. You don't believe what I say. But I, I did not. Put, I did not choose this. You know, I, every step of the way, it's been an often. I, I did I, not put this anywhere. I didn't. Uh, let me talk to the fucking team. I did not call the cops. I think them I will call the cops. You told I will call the cops. I did not call the cops, and I did not give them anything. 
that when they came, I've been trying to protect you. I you told Io to call the cops. When? When you while it was happening? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because the last time that it got crazy between us, I really did think I was going to lose my life. And I thought you would do it on accident. And I told you that. I said, oh, my God. I thought the first time. Amber, I, I lost a fucking finger, man. Come on. I had a fucking, I had a fucking, a mineral can, a jar, a can of mineral spirits thrown on my nose. I, I, you can please tell people that it was a fair fight and see what the, see what the jury and judge think. Tell people it was a fair fight and see what the jury and judge think. It's interesting because she also said he gives specific instances every time they have these fights. He gives specific instances of harm to himself. She does not give specific instances in that way of harm to herself. But she also said, I thought you would take my life and I thought you would do it by accident, which is a really interesting wording. And I wonder if Depp's team is going to bring it up saying, why did she think it would be an accident? Did she think she would push him to the point where he would snap? Or did she think because he does hit her that it would go too far, but she didn't use the words go too far. This, I thought it would be an accident is very different language than what in my experience I've heard in cases like this where victims are saying, is this going to be the time? Is this going to be the time that it goes too far? Not that it is an accident. So I thought her wording there was interesting. I might be reading into it just based on my own experiences. I don't know um, how Depp's team will address it when Amber Heard testifies, but let's hear the rest of what she says because she's getting into the no one is going to believe you. Tell the world, Johnny. Tell them, Johnny Depp. I, Johnny Depp, man, I'm, I'm a victim too of domestic violence. And yes. I know it's a fair fight. And see how many people believe or side with you. It doesn't matter if it's a fair fight. My ass. Exactly. See how many people believe or side with you. And I think those words are very, very powerful in this case. And that's really what this case boils down to. Who believes Johnny Depp is a victim of abuse? Do people believe that Amber Heard is a victim of it? Well, jury people, did the jury believe that Amber Heard's also a victim of abuse and therefore her op-ed is not defamatory? The next clip we're going to hear is what I think was a very well-crafted end to Johnny Depp's testimony. It's the thing that the lawyers want to stay in their mind. It also is the thing that became the headlines coming out of the beginning of week three of this trial. I thought their redirect was very well strategized and very well executed. I think that the cross-examination at the beginning of day eight after the weekend break was also a bit more cohesive and a little less scattershot. And again, we haven't seen Heard's legal team on direct examination yet. We're not to her case yet. We've only seen them on cross. And they've not been stellar for a lot of it. There have been moments. But overall, it has felt wandering, especially when it came to Johnny Depp. But he's also a difficult witness. He's not going to answer in a clean and simple way. But I also think when you come at him in a combative way, he's going to respond that way, as a lot of people do. So this is the very last moment of the redirect examination. And I thought it was tremendously well done. And what did you say in response when Miss Heard said, tell the world, Johnny, tell them Johnny Depp, I, Johnny Depp, a man, I'm a victim too of domestic violence. I said, yes, I am. I have nothing further, Your Honor. Right. So you can have a seat next to your, your attorney, please. And with that, Johnny Depp's direct examination ends on day eight of this trial. Tell the world, Johnny, I, Johnny Depp, a man, am a victim of domestic violence. And his answer is, I said, yes, I am. And that is what his team is going to want to remind the jury of. He's a victim of abuse. Therefore, is it fair or is it defamatory? Is it true or is it defamatory? when Amber Heard says that she is a victim of domestic violence. And then they followed Johnny Depp's testimony up with house manager Ben King. His testimony was delightful. Um, I found him to be delightful on the stand. He is 
very British. He talks about meeting the couple first in London. He talked a little bit about his history working in this type of service work, working at Buckingham Palace um, and elsewhere. And I can only imagine how horrified he was with the scene in Australia. He didn't speak kind of out of turn too much about that, but he did talk a lot about Australia. So he talked about the house in London, provisioning the house. That's, by the way, what I'm now calling grocery shopping at my home. It's it's We're provisioning. We're, we're not restocking. We're not grocery shopping. We are provisioning. He talked about the substantial amount of wine that he provisioned for the home in London when the couple was there together and that Amber Heard was drinking one to two bottles a day. That testimony has been consistent across other witnesses that Amber Heard does drink a substantial amount of wine, has a parchment for bottles that run upwards of $500 a bottle, and that they are brought in in large quantities. But often people don't see Johnny Depp drinking wine. He also discussed a few arguments that he overheard and had an impression of an argument in London that kind of raised an eyebrow for me and uh, was a little bit of a chuckle, but just gives you such a <laughs> such a good um, pin into how these fights would go and how they were perceived when they were overheard by those working with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. She's replenishing drinks close by, um, you know, lighting the fire, lighting candles, whatever it might have been. I was close enough to to hear Ms. Hurd's. And this is testimony of Ben King about a fight that he overheard and his perception of such. First uh, fight or argument resolved? No, not necessarily. I mean, I know that they left eventually, albeit late. Uh, I, I don't know how it, it really resolved because I, I sort of made myself busy, but not going too far away from the door to make sure I saw them out. All right, and then what about the second argument that you mentioned? Second one, I was pretty much in the same vicinity, the same room on the ground floor. Uh, again, I, the couple were in the, the TV room, I think, which was off the main sitting room early evening, and I was going about my early evening duties, replenishing drinks close by, um, you know, lighting the fire, lighting candles. I, I want someone to replenish my house in the evening. That's, that's not me. <laughs> I just, I love, I loved everything about Ben King's testimony. It felt like Downton Abbey kind of dropped into the middle of this trial with this very interesting peek into this elite level of support that the uber wealthy and celebrity have. I, I, it was, it was fascinating and it was a very nice change of pace in day eight to have such a different type of testimony from someone who was not emotionally involved in this. He hadn't worked for Johnny Depp for years and years and years. He isn't, you know, one of the longtime members he met through being recommended to work with them when they were in London and then ended up working with them in Australia. But this is the fight that he observed. Whatever it might have been, I was close enough to, to hear Miss Hurd say, why did you take your hand away from me, Johnny? Don't you, don't you love me anymore? Like, not in a playful way, I might add. Um, and I think he replied, of course I do, don't be silly. Yeah, of course I do. And it, it kind of launched from that point. And at one point, Mr. Depp got up and went to the bathroom or went upstairs, and I was sort of scuttling around out of the way because I you know, wasn't there listening. I was just there doing my stuff in and around them. Yeah, it was, it was a strange sort of banal way to start an argument. But How would you describe Miss Hurd's tone when she said, um, why did you take your hand away, Johnny? Accusatory, spoiled teenage child, maybe. Is that fair? <laughs> Pretty, you know, not playfully, let's put it that way. His face when he's like, is that fair? Like spoiled teenage child is how he is describing her tone. And that is something that we see very consistently with this case and with the way people talk about this case. It is, it's very consistent that we see um, uh, people describing Amber Heard's behavior in that way. From the trip to London, 
Ben King testifies about being in Australia and what he remembers of being called to the house the night that Johnny Depp's finger is severed, about the damage to the house, chunks missing from marble stairs, about the photos that he took, the money that was spent, fifty dollars to $75,000 to clean up this property that had been rented for Depp. And he also talks about the fact that he finds the tip of Johnny Depp's finger down in the bar area, which is contrary to things that had been discussed online prior to this, um, that the finger might have been found up in the kitchen area or what have you. But it seemed from his describing it that someone had grabbed a paper towel to put on the injury to as because it was bleeding. And then the tip of little Richard, the injured finger, stayed in the paper towel when it was removed and then Depp went around dunking it in paint and painting on mirrors and lampshades and such in the house. There was conversation on cross-examination about where, whether there was a painting defaced with a penis on it. We have heard this before. I still don't know where the penis defaced painting is. We've not seen it. We keep hearing about it, but we've no one has proven it. I don't know what they're trying to, I really don't know where the defense is going with this defaced painting that supposedly has a penis drawn on it. Like I, I really would like to know where we're going with that. I'm so confused every time it comes up. They also on cross asked quite a lot of Ben um, King about where all the photos were that he took. And he was taking photos for damage and for repairs and things like that. And they asked, did you turn them all over? He's like, I turned over a number of them and they kept hammering him about these photos. I just wonder if it will backfire or if the jury will be like, yeah, why didn't you turn over all these photos? Because what we know from motions that have come in earlier is that Amber Heard has not turned over all of her photos. So if her team is going to make a really big deal, like it's so damaging to not have these photos, um, that's going to backfire right on them because they haven't turned over photos. So I just didn't know what it would help or what the point really was, other than to point out that maybe Ben Cross is trying to protect Johnny Depp because he really does come across as a neutral witness. I thought he came across as a very neutral witness. Um, This is what I saw. This is what I observed. This is what I had to deal with. This is what I cleaned up. This is where I saw damage. This is where I saw the plaster damage near the bar. This is where I saw shattered glass near the bar. This is where I recovered the tip of the finger. Um, There were other light moments when, you know, Depp's, or not Depp's Heard's attorneys tried to get into Ben King a little bit more on cross-examination. And at one point he was like, I'm sorry, I wasn't there after I left. There were these light moments, but overall I thought he was a very good witness because again, he was there to work. He was there to take care of things behind the scenes and he sees everything. He also was in charge of getting Amber Heard out of Australia and back to Los Angeles and flew with her from Australia back to Los Angeles after this incident. And though there was, I I think there were some conflicts in how this conversation came up, but on the flight, it came up that Ben said, that Amber said to him, have you ever been so angry with someone that you just lost it? And while there was some questioning on cross-examination about, did he ask her a question or did he not? Or what did he understand the conversation to be about? He said they both understood the conversation to be about the incident that had happened in Australia, even though he didn't ask about it, which doesn't surprise me because discretion is literally his entire business. He also said that he didn't observe any injuries on Amber, but then sometimes during the flight noticed some um, scratches or lines or cuts on her arm and talked a little bit about that. He also said that as he was trying to get her out of Australia back to LA, there was some fighting back and forth. And she was saying, I can't leave. It will be the end if I leave, which was such interesting testimony to me that that's what she was saying after this huge fight where Johnny Depp ended up in the hospital with a cigarette put out on his cheek and a finger severed that she's like, I can't leave. It'll be the end if I leave. Because this fight started over again, the post-nuptial agreement and the fact that she wasn't in Johnny Depp's will. I just thought it was a very interesting moment of testimony. And I don't really think that much damage was done on cross. It was, did she start the conversation? Did you start the conversation? I don't know how much the jury will care because he came across very credible and as if he wasn't trying to protect anyone. He was just really retelling what he saw. And that is the witness we ended with day eight. Day nine started out with the island caretaker who talked about the wedding, people that came to visit the island, her interactions with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp on the island, an incident where Johnny Depp had that can of 
mineral spirits or paint or whatever it is thrown at him um, that hit him on the nose and ended with a gash on his nose and what had happened after that. It talked about the fact that the wedding got pushed earlier in the day and that Amber Heard was actually ready for the wedding early. And I'm like, who does that? Oh my God, I've got questions. Who's, who's ready? People get ready early, but was out on the beach early as helicopters started to go over. And they had strategized the wedding to be at sunset or slightly after so that there couldn't be paparazzi photos, but that the wedding ended up getting pushed forward. And it seemed that the indication from this witness was that Amber Heard wanted to be in full view of the um, helicopters that were circling the island, which is very interesting. She also, again, talked about the island having a schedule for dinner, dancing, and drugs. I was like, this was a theme at both weddings, the LA wedding and the wedding on the island in the Bahamas. They talked on cross-examination at length about whether any injuries were ever seen on Amber Heard, and the island caretaker said that there were not, and she never noticed that. And Amber Heard's female attorney, who I've started calling Umbridge because of the way she talks, has started was saying, well, you don't know what makeup she wore and you don't know this. And she goes, well, I knew she wore this um, particular sunscreen because I had to have it in, you know, it was a Shiseido sunscreen that I needed to have for her at the island and stocked for her. But no, I didn't know what else she wore. And I'm like, how much island are you, how much makeup are you wearing in the Bahamas? It's humid. Like things just slide off your face. I don't know. It just was an interesting line of cross. Well, you don't know how much makeup she was wearing. It's, it's the Bahamas. Also on cross-examination, it was asked, did Amber ever tell you she had a skin condition? And did you know that Paul Bettany said he'd never even met Amber Heard? And this was so odd, especially after Johnny Depp's testimony on cross-examination that Amber Heard had made Paul Bettany's child burst into tears on the island, like an older teen, because they had gotten into an argument when they were all at the island together. So it was very strange. And on my Twitter feed, you'll see in the timeline, as that's going on in court, people are sending me like images of Amber Heard and Paul Bettany photographed together at a movie premiere for Mordecai. So it's just one of these things. Her attorney asks these questions as this trial is streaming that are so easily disprovable. It just doesn't make any sense to me why she's putting these things out there. Well, did you know that Paul Bettany said he's never in fact met Amber Heard? What are you even talking about, dude? And that was, that was the island caretaker really talking about the fights that she had witnessed between the two. Then it went to Dr. Shannon Curry, who is, of course, a fantastic witness for Depp's team. She's a forensic psychologist that was brought in by Depp's team to work on this case and to do a forensic psychological evaluation of Amber Heard, which she did. I saw a lot of questions over on in the Lawnard community at lawnardsunite.com. If you want to join the Lawnard community and have these conversations, you're welcome to join us at lawnardsunite.com starting at just $3 a month for all kinds of bonuses, plus the I Have Thoughts members only podcast. But one of the questions I saw was why was she hired by Depp's team to evaluate Amber Heard and why wasn't Depp evaluated, which is a fantastic question. She did the forensic psychological evaluation of Amber Heard because Amber Heard put an issue whether or not she has PTSD from her time with Johnny Depp in other medical testimony that she will be presenting or presumably be presenting during her case in chief. Because Johnny Depp is not putting that type of evidence forward, it was not an issue that he needed to be evaluated. His team is allowed to have heard evaluated to contradict or to rebut her team's um, presented or presumably presented testimony about whether or not she has PTSD from her relationship with Johnny Depp, which can be something that comes after intimate partner violence relationships. So that is why this doctor was allowed to do a psychological evaluation of Amber Heard and why the court, in fact, ordered it. Amber Heard did try to have her team have Johnny Depp evaluated, and the court denied that because Johnny Depp had not put mental health or any mental health diagnoses at issue. So what we get from this doctor is a diagnosis of Amber Heard, and we're going to look at that now. And then on the 17th, we spent <clears throat> a little more than eight hours in the evaluation from start to finish with a one-hour break and another half hour of breaks distributed throughout the day. As, the, as a result of the work that you performed, did you form any opinions with respect to Ms. Heard? I did. What were those opinions? I... Uh, the results of Ms. Heard's evaluation supported two diagnoses, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. What is 
a diagnosis. And then the testimony got very much into what these diagnoses entail, what behavior traits are characteristic of them. And a lot of that very closely aligned with things we've already heard in Johnny Depp's testimony and things we've heard in the audio, um, indicating that, you know, well, indicating deeply these personality disorders and how they align or explain the behavior of Amber Heard. And that was the point of this testimony. This forensic psychologist is tremendously well-qualified. We heard lots about her background and qualifications, but she is hired by Depp's team. And sometimes a jury can be a bit suspicious about whether or not this is just going to be a hired gun saying whatever one side wants. I found her to be tremendously credible, but there were some parts of cross-examination that highlighted things that could look like um, an underlying bias or a determination to find a particular diagnosis. The parts of cross-examination, again, done by Miss Elaine Bredhoff, who umbrage, um, the points that I thought were very good is she brought up the fact that the lawyers had submitted a expert witness statement before any of these evaluations were done, indicating that this witness would testify that Amber Heard had borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. Now, I think the jury might hear that and go, oh, so even before she did any evaluations, this is what the lawyers anticipated she would say or the lawyers wanted her to say. I wonder if, and this hasn't come out that I've seen, I wonder if those um, diagnoses were in other medical records. So the doctors or the, the doctors, the lawyers could say, we kind of know this is the way this is going to go because she'd previously been diagnosed this way. Will that come up on cross-exam of her doctors during her case in chief? I don't know, but I'm interested to see. Otherwise, I think that is a very interesting thing. Histrionic personality disorder doesn't seem to be a particularly common personality disorder, but they put that in there that they thought that this is what she would be diagnosed with. Then there was also the issue of the doctor being interviewed at Johnny Depp's house by his legal team during a dinner uh, where drinks were served. And Brett Huff kept trying to narrow it down to, you had dinner and drinks with Johnny Depp, and you had dinner and drinks with Johnny Depp. And this is what I've been really critical about Amber Heard's team on. I think the weight of, oh, this is unusual. You've never done this with another client. You've never done it since. This was a very strange situation for you. And you actually sought advisement on whether it was appropriate because you thought it wasn't appropriate. I thought that line of questioning was very good to go towards whether there was bias here or whether, you know, you've got to do what you're supposed to do in these cases. So you continue to have these cases, but then it kind of all falls apart. I think when Amber Heard's attorneys a, hammer things too much after the point, and B, lean into everything being DEFCON red. Hey, you needed to get advisement on whether this was proper or appropriate. Leave it there and then argue it and close because I thought those were very strong points. But then she gets into the fucking muffins and everything. <laughs> the wheels kind of come off, I think. This happened during cross-examination and because it has been memed all over the internet, I would be doing a disservice if I did not embrace bring you into the meme with me. So this is what happened with regard to the muffins. Do you know the muffin man? And your answer under oath at that time was no. So the line of questioning we're coming into on cross with this is really going towards whether there's bias here or whether this doctor told her husband like, oh, I'm evaluating Amber Heard today. She's a big famous actress. Like it's a really big deal trying to get to whether there's improper bias there or whether this doctor had done something improper in disclosing who the client was. You were in fact so excited about being involved in this case that you told your husband, even though this was a highly confidential matter, that you were going to be conducting the examination of Ms. Heard, didn't you? That is not accurate. You not only told your husband, but you told Ms. Heard that you told your husband, correct? Ms. Bredehoff, that is not accurate. What is accurate? You're incorrect. That is not correct. You, is your testimony today <laughs> under oath that you did not tell your husband that you were going to be conducting the examination of Amber? That is my testimony. And here we go, right into it. Well, not exactly. She's going to ruffle papers for a minute, and then we're going to get right into it. And if you enjoy my commentary over these clips, don't go forget to, to join 
me live. WatchEmily.com on YouTube. I am streaming this trial day in and day out, breaking down what's going on in court, aside from just doing these summaries. Ms. Bredhoff, can you please get to the point? We're doing a podcast here. We would really like to get to the meme of it all. Thanks. So the question that was asked was because you brought muffins, you said from your husband, right? You get, And you gave those to Ms. Hurd, correct? May I clarify what occurred so that we can stop talking about the muffins? <laughs> what happened is that I was getting ready that morning. I frequently bring muffins to the office. My husband did happen to know that there was going to be a celebrity client coming in because on the mornings that that occurs, which often occurs, we have to actually clear the office and move the staff to the other office. So yes, on the one hand, he was aware of that. I was getting ready. I asked him to go to the bakery near our house and pick up the muffins for me because I was running late. He often has to do that because I often do run late. He brought the muffins back you, to the house. I brought them into the office. Ms. Hurd and I enjoyed the muffins together. I think I made a comment to her along the lines like, we can thank my husband. He brought, or my husband got these for us today meaning he purchased the muffins. We are now enjoying them because of him. Did, did you say on pages 305 and 306 that you frequently have examinations of high-profile clients? You want to just take a quick look and tell us? And that's what happened with the muffins. Can we please stop talking about the muffins? And this is, again, where I think Herd's team loses steam when there are some things that they can point out. The dinner that's highly unusual, um, the fact that she's getting paid in this case, all those things. But then you start harping on the muffins and you lose all of your steam because it's like, oh my God, she brought muffins in the office. This isn't all about Amber Heard. And it just kind of undoes the weight that you have from the other points that have been made for me. The testimony of Dr. Shannon Curry uh, rounded out the rest of day nine. So we're going to be moving into day 10. The beginning of day 10 started with LAPD officers. Oh, no, there was one LAPD officer that started at the end of day nine and went into day 10. These were all by video deposition. None of these witnesses were available live. And again, you're allowed to bring in in a civil case by agreement, video deposition testimony when the witness is unavailable. That is very different in criminal law than what is going on in civil, but in civil, they're allowed to agree to it. And they did. So they had three LAPD officers in total that testified at the end of day nine into the morning of day 10. All of them indicated that they didn't see any injuries on Amber Heard when the police were called. She said that she was struck in the face with a cell phone. And then she went into court um, days later and sought this restraining order after the police had arrived at the home and saw no indication of injury or marking on her face and did not take a police report. And again, Ms. Bredhoff tried to get into these officers. Shouldn't you have taken a report? And the officers are like, there's nothing to report. Shouldn't you have taken photos? Not if there's nothing to take photos of. We left our card. We did our job. They had um, body cam footage from one of the officers that they played numerous times in court showing that the house was not in disarray. That didn't look like there had been a fight. Johnny Depp was not present. And we will see a lot more from this evening. I think when we get into Amber Heard's testimony, other footage from the elevators and things like that, we're just not there yet in this case. So all the officers said she looked like she'd been crying. Her face was a little red because she looked like she'd been crying and it was consistent with that. Then we get to Alejandro Romero, who though not like not the biggest, weightiest testimony of the day was certainly the most entertaining testimony of the day, I thought. He was giving a video deposition from his car. He was completely over being involved in this case. He is the front desk person at the ECB where Amber Heard and Johnny Depp lived. They would come pick up packages from him and all this stuff. So he was um, well and familiar with the people that lived in his building. And again, this is the hard part of trying to prove a negative. They kept asking him, well, did you know if Amber Heard was wearing makeup and did you know this or that? And he's like, look, I don't remember, but if she had a big bruise or a cut or swelling on her face, I would have noticed and I would have remembered that. And that's fair. Something that's that out of the usual or out of the ordinary is much more likely to be remembered than just your day to day. He said that he'd seen her multiple times on the day that they're talking about, which is, again is before she goes and gets this restraining order, but after when she said she was struck by the phone, 
And he said he'd seen her in good light downstairs. He had gotten in the elevator with her and gone upstairs because she thought somebody had broken into her unit. And we're going to hear a little of his testimony about somebody breaking into his unit now. And then we're going to hear just a moment um, from what the judge thought. So let's hear real quick from Alejandro Romero. I got to tell the whole story, how they got there. Before they got, they went and get the keys. They come down. They say, somebody tried to get into my unit. They scratches on my door and say, and like, um, um, I'm really sorry, but who will think it's going to get into your unit because they saw some scratches on the door, like, what, four inches above the door? Because the dog was crashing, the door was trying to get in, and they thought about someone trying to break into the the, the unit. I said, on oh, my head, I was like, you really, you think someone's trying to get into your unit? There's scratches like four inches above your the floor and your door. That was the dog trying to get into the unit. And they were so afraid. Oh, someone's trying to get into my unit. Like, oh, come on, really? And you can hear. A, you can see if you're watching the video version that this starts Johnny Depp laughing. And I don't know if his attorney is saying, please gather it together in front of the jury and don't start laughing at this testimony. But also you can hear this guy going, oh, who thinks when there's scratches on your door four inches above the ground when you have little dogs that somebody's trying to break into your unit? It's not like he's like, he sounds so annoyed. He's like, ladies, seriously, WTF. And I actually went. They asked me to go inside the unit just to check room by room to make sure that no one was there. So I did that as part of my job, make sure they're safe. But I like really, I didn't understand why they want me to do that. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> you can hear the audience in the courtroom laugh. And then I, he- I just so stressed out because of this. I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm I don't want to deal with this court case. Everybody got problems. And I don't want to deal with this no more. I don't want want to put this in any more words. And that's really what it is. Everybody's got problems. I'm so stressed out. I don't want to deal with this case anymore. He is probably one of the most relatable witnesses. And again, he's a witness presented by Depp's team that doesn't seem like he's a ride or die for Johnny Depp. He's like, I'm just trying to do my job. And if someone who lives in my very bougie building, my word's not his, but if someone who lived in my very, very bougie building had a black eye or cuts and stuff on their face, I would remember that because it would be so out of the ordinary. And this is stressing me out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I thought he came across very credibly, but then he vapes in his car in the middle of this deposition and then drives off. It is not a typical deposition, but again, they were making allowances for video depositions because of COVID, where normally you have depositions in a conference room where everyone's there. Um, That is not what happened here. And the judge had something to say about it at the end of this testimony. And let's hear from Judge A real quick at the end of this deposition. All right. I, that was a first. I'm sorry. I, I, will, I will say, Your Honor, that is the most bizarre deposition. Yeah, okay. All right. I was just going to say, I've just never seen that before. Started, I've seen a lot of things, but I've just never seen it. driving that. Yeah, that did it. And again, we see a moment where Ms. Bradhoff is being um, very collegial with the judge. So we know she's capable of not just screaming at people. Um, she's choosing not to. So her cross-examination is a strategy because she that's the collegial way you would talk to the judge. Like, Your Honor, I don't know either. Like, seriously, whatever. He was vaping and then he drove off. Like, I've never had a deposition like this. We live in a weird, weird world right now. But it gave a ring of kind of everyday individual tired of this rich people shit. It, it was very relatable. And I think testimony like that is going to be hard for Hurd's team to overcome because you now have witness after witness after witnessing. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. I would have noticed. And we'll see. Again, it's it's proving a negative, but she's going to have to have numerous witnesses coming in to talk about these injuries. 
or it's going to be really hard to overcome. The next witness on day 10 was Christian Carino, a CAA um, talent agent who had worked with Depp or worked with Heard and then started working with Depp as well. He talked about the fact that it was his opinion that Depp lost Pirates because of the op-ed. He was friends with both of them, and it seemed more friendly with Heard than he was with Depp. But he really did give this very um, clear picture that, in his opinion, Johnny Depp lost Pirates because of this op-ed. He then talked about the fact that after the restraining order was obtained, that Heard wanted to meet with Depp, and he flew up with her to San Francisco for that meeting, that it was very many people involved, including lawyers, to assure that Heard would not try to report Depp for violating the restraining order because they were in proximity to each other, that he was up there. There were then moments where they talked about texts between this agent and Amber Heard about Elon Musk and about breaking up with Elon Musk. And, you know, we've seen in the media, it's not in evidence in this court, but we've seen in the media that Musk was very upset about this breakup, almost missed the Tesla Model 3 launch because of it. And the texts from Amber Heard were back and forth with her agent and him saying, you weren't in love with him. You told me a thousand times you were just filling space and you could avoid all of this if you stopped dating uber famous people. And his testimony was, you know, essentially she was complaining about all of this playing out in the press. And he's like, if you don't want to be in the press about your personal life, don't date famous people. He really, again, came across as he was more friendly with her than Depp, which I think is good testimony for Johnny Depp. But the crux of that testimony for me was why Depp lost Pirates and then bringing in the fact that they traveled together for that meeting in San Francisco. And there are audio recordings from that meeting in San Francisco. Then they brought in attorney Laura Wasser, celebrity divorce attorney, who had no patience at all for Elaine Bredhoff. And she said, okay, Elaine, now that you've defined this, you can call it whatever you like. She was not having any of it. And it was kind of delightful to see the snark. It just, from a court watcher perspective, it was kind of hilarious because you've got an attorney deposing another attorney. The most interesting part of that testimony for me was she was talking about celebrity cases. They normally want to take them out of the public eye. That's what she's done in the Kardashian divorces and others. She said that Heard's attorney, Samantha Spector, very much didn't want to take this case out of the public eye. She talked about surveillance footage that they had gotten and been preserved. She talked about the fact that when the restraining order was filed for, it was a no-notice ex parte restraining order, which means that Depp's legal team was not given any heads up that Heard was going to march into court and seek a restraining order. And they had been talking at that point about dealing with this divorce. Ex party means that there is no opportunity for Depp's side to be heard for 21 days. And we knew Depp at this point was out of the country based on other testimony. So this, again, goes against testimony. Well, not testimony. goes against statements we heard in opening statements where Heard's legal team said, you'll hear they had an opportunity to respond. Well, not exactly. They didn't have an opportunity for 21 days, and it was withdrawn before then. Depp didn't have an opportunity to respond. It was a no-notice ex-party restraining order, temporary restraining order. And I thought that that is great evidence to build on. And they also started getting into the settlement and the statements in the settlement and the non-disclosure in the settlement and those kinds of things, which really build towards the testimony that we're going to get into in day 11. In day 11 of this case, we heard from Chief Legal Counsel Terrence Doherty from the ACLU and then accountant and business manager, Edward White, security officer, Malcolm Colony, and then Sterling Jennings, um, the chauffeur and also security for Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. The testimony from the ACLU was absolutely fascinating. If you are inclined to watch it all, I highly recommend it. Yes, it's another video deposition, but it gets to the heart of this case. Not only does it talk about the donations that Amber Heard promised, Remember, she promised widely, and we will get into this more as Amber Heard testifies, but she promised widely that all the $7 million she got from her divorce, which ended up being more like $14 million when you include taxes and all the other things that went into it, according to the accountant later in the day, Edward White, but that $7 million was supposed to be donated half to the ACLU and half to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. We heard from the ACLU that it was just over a million dollars that was donated. 500000 of that came from Elon Musk during the time he and Amber Heard were dating. So weird. And 100,000 of it came from Johnny Depp. And they talked about the source of the other funds. 
how they were donated. But really the impact, I think, of the testimony was how much back and forth there was with the ACLU about the op-ed that ended up being placed in the Washington Post that they were strategizing where to place it, when to release it for maximum impact, and how impactful it would be with Depp's name in it, with Depp's name removed from it, and what edits needed to be made. Amber Heard very much wanted to talk about the temporary restraining order. Lots of lawyers reviewed it because they were worried about her violating her NDA for her divorce settlement. And they were, I think, it really seemed like they were bracing for the fact that she could very well and possibly be sued for this and trying to make sure that it would be harder to sue her for this when they took information out. But it was very clear that the ACLU wanted this to be an impactful article, wanted it to start kind of a firestorm and wanted to walk that line of how closely they could tie it to Johnny Depp without Amber Heard, in fact, getting sued, which is why we are now in court, because she is, in fact, getting sued. And it does, in fact, you know, reference Johnny Depp. When people took the inference that this was talking about Johnny Depp, it's because in the drafts, this was written about Johnny Depp. And it was clear. And they kept, they started they started with him very clearly named, and then they walked it back. But now the jury says, oh, well, it's not a hard leap that this is defamation by implication because they're implying that it's Johnny Depp when we know it was written to imply it was Johnny Depp for maximum impact. I thought it was very impactful testimony because it shows exactly what this article was intended to do and in fact did, which was bring awareness to relational violence. The thing is, did Amber Heard concoct all of that and time the release of this article around Aquaman to bring the spotlight on her and raise her own star? Was she releasing this article and promising this donation so that she could be a, an ambassador for um, sexual violence in our community or in our in our society and what that would do for her? So now it gives a motive if the jury is wondering, well, why would she release this op-ed? What does she have to gain by sharing this? Well, now they see the gain. They see the prestige. They see the way it could actually position her as maybe more of a star because now she's an ambassador to the ACLU and, and um, you know, doing op-eds and, and really having the ambition to kind of rise through this. And I'm sure Depp's team will argue it. Then we got into the accountant, Edward White, again, by video deposition. No, he was in person. <laughs> Me, again, by video deposition. No, he was in person. Then we, he, he was a bit snarky on cross-examination. I will say he was getting a little... Uh, a little bit testy in ways that maybe he shouldn't have. This was really one of the first witnesses where I looked at how difficult he was being on cross going. Yeah, but you could also just answer the question though. Like just answer some of these questions directly and wait for redirect to fix it. Just stop fighting because it makes you look like you're hiding something. And I don't know what the jury will take away from that. But he talked about the, how large the wine bill was during the marriage to Amber Heard and then how much it substantially decreased that they were in a lengthy meeting about money that Depp had lost and owed to the IRS um, before he was late to that birthday party and those sorts of things. We then got onto Malcolm Connolly, his private security guard, who had a very thick Scottish accent and talked about seeing injuries on Depp but not seeing any injuries on her throughout the course of their relationship. And then we got into Sterling Jennings, again, a you know security personnel plus the chauffeur, he's the one that rounded out the story about what happened at the birthday party because the birthday party was right before um, Heard went to Coachella, which was leading up right around the time of the last time that Depp saw her and prior to when they filed for divorce. So this is at the end of April, April 22nd, when she went to Coachella. This is also right around the incident of her dropping a grumpy on the bed. So he talks about the fact that when he arrived the day after the birthday party, that Amber had her phone, but Depp's phone was gone. Depp's phone and his wallet and his passport and stuff had been hurled out of the ECB. And they ended up using Find My iPhone to find that it was in the possession of a uh, unhomed individual down on Skid Row. And they exchanged the phone for money, uh, food, apples, chips, water, and things like that, and were able to retrieve the phone and the wallet and all of those possessions of Johnny Depp and get them back to him. And then he was the one that drove Amber and her friends or drove drove the animals and like the luggage to Coachella. And Amber drove um, her car with her assistant and her sister out to Coachella, talked about 
um, what happened at Coachella, Amber had gotten sick drinking wine and taking mushrooms on an empty stomach and things like that. But the most interesting part of that testimony, I thought, was when he talked about the grumpy that was left in the bed. Because again, Amber Heard said that she did not poop on the bed, that she was not the one who defecated. However, she admitted to the chauffeur that she did. Let's listen to that right now. And this is more testimony by video deposition of Sterling Jenkins. Let's hear what he has to say. And did you have any discussions with Ms. Heard on the way to Coachella that evening? We had a conversation pertaining to the surprise she left in the boss's bed prior to leaving the apartment. And when you refer to the surprise in the boss's bed, what are you referring to? The defecation. And yep. what did Ms. Heard say about the defecation in Mr. Depp's bed? A horrible practical jerk gone wrong. And I actually should correct myself. That was a live remote witness, not a video deposition. There have been so many video depositions that they've started blending together in my mind, but he was a live witness that was remote. And a number of them have called in remote. Malcolm Connolly, the um, island manager, et cetera, have been witnesses that were not on video deposition were being questioned by the lawyers contemporaneously, but were remoting in um, on video. But the surprise she left in the boss's bed, and she said it was a horrible practical joke gone wrong. And there we have it. The defamation defecation trial has rounded out for week three. I want to take a minute to remind you that it's the beginning of the month. And that means we have a members only live stream coming up for all of you in the Law Nerd community. If you have not joined our Law Nerd community yet, now is a perfect time to do so. LawNerdsUnite.com will get you to our Law Nerd community on Patreon, and you can choose what level of membership you would like to not just support me and support the show, allow me to talk about topics that are not always the YouTube friendly, and to get behind the scenes and additional content and behind the scenes conversations with other law nerds on the topics that are happening. It's where I put up the members only I have thoughts podcast, breaking down the things I have thoughts about. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. Sometimes it's a deeper dive into the topics we're covering, not just the law, but also uh, my thoughts, my feelings, confusion, pondering, all the things. And we have monthly members only live streams, which is a great way not just to interact with the Law Nerd community, but to interact with me as well, because those live streams have just the members on them. And we really get to dive into topics. There are more DA story times there and a lot of fun. So if you've been considering it, come on over and join the Law Nerd community right now at lawnerdsunite.com. Memberships start at just $3 a month. I would love to have you. And don't forget to say that the podcast sent you. Let's get back to today's show. From the Law Nerd community, some of the questions that I got, and I wanted to make sure I answered, a number of you asked, when will Amber Heard's case in chief start? By the time you're listening to this, I think we will already be into Amber Heard's case in chief, and she might be testifying the day that this goes live. So Melissa, maybe the, maybe now. She might be testifying now. I think her case in chief will probably start on Tuesday, but we will see Tuesday of week four. And a number of you asked about the ACLU testimony and why the ACLU testimony mattered so much. So Debbie, the reason the ACLU testimony mattered so much is because it shows that this is not just defamation by implication, um, where the jury has to kind of stretch for how it's implied. It shows that this is actually what was intended, and they now know the process of how it was intended and why, and it gives motivation, and it shows the motive behind it. People want to understand why. Why is she behaving this way? Well, you have Dr. Shannon Curry with her opinion of why. Why would she release this op-ed when she had an NDA in the settlement? Well, now we know why. And it gives room for Depp's team to argue this was her ambition. She wanted to be an ambassador for the ACLU. She promised this large donation to get that ambassadorship. And she used the ACLU's contacts to place this op-ed right before Aquaman launched so that the spotlight would be squarely on her. Emma asked about what Muffingate was, and I know we covered that in this episode, but it was trying to show that this doctor was starstruck with Amber Heard, but really she's like, sometimes I bring muffins. My husband picked them up. I run late. It, it was a big 
nothing with the muffins. I think the dinner at the house was much more interesting. And I think the attorney saying this is what the witness will say, not that there's personality disorders, but that there is borderline and histrionic personality disorders. I think that is much more interesting testimony for a jury to go, huh? Well, why did the lawyers think she would say that when she hadn't done an evaluation yet, instead of the lawyers saying it more broadly that she would testify to whether or not Amber Heard had any personality disorders or lacked PTSD, which was also part of that testimony. And Julie asked again, I don't understand how depositions are allowed instead of being in person. It's because they've agreed to it in this civil trial and those witnesses are unavailable. And this is previous sworn testimony. So that is why they're coming in. And with that, if you want to join us over in that community to have a conversation, lawnerdsunite.com will get you there. We're going to be coming up on our members-only live streams that are the second Thursday of every month because it's May and it's time. But for now, it is time to say goodbye. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a Law Nerd. And I'm going to raise a glass. I don't even, I have a loud glass today because it's, because I wanted it to stay cold while I was recording. So may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your gas not be $7 a gallon. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you next week as we round up week four of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp case. And maybe we'll have a jury verdict back in that Kardashian Black China case because the jury's deliberating. So we'll see what happens. But if you want all the quick updates, follow me on social at the Emily D. Baker. And I will talk to you in the next one. (laughs) 